Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back for another episode of the Let's Talk Broncos podcast, episode two. Uh, last week, we didn't go over too much. Uh, it was more of just an intro episode to kind of introduce myself to you guys and kind of give you a preview of what you can expect uh, me to go over throughout this offseason on the podcast. Uh, interesting offseason. I talked about that last week, how exciting of an offseason it's going to be. Like I said, uh, you never, ever want to go 5-11, and 11, especially as a Broncos fan. We're not used to that kind of stuff. Um, but it makes for an exciting, intriguing offseason. There's going to be a lot of changes. There's already been a lot of changes, and we'll talk about some of those, mainly on the coaching staff so far. Um, and another change in the, in the front office. Uh, we didn't talk much about it last week, about Gary Kubiak. Um, you know, he was, he was signed as more of a scout uh, kind of guy to stay at home where he lives in Houston and work with the Broncos, but they've now brought him into a larger role in the front office. And um, if you're a Broncos fan, I think you really, really like that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And we'll talk, um, like I said, some of the changes on the coaching staff. Um, just to give a little recap of uh, wildcard weekend, you know, Tennessee beats Kansas City. We all love that as uh, Broncos fans. They blow a 21 to three lead. Uh, throw a little bit of extra enjoyment on there. I think that game had a lot of implications because now you're hearing that uh, Alex Smith is on the trading block. And um, I say a lot of implications, but to be honest, I, I I can't really imagine Kansas City trading him within the division. And uh, and if they were going to, Denver would have to give up so much if they really want him, more than I, I as a Broncos fan, would be willing to give up. Um, Atlanta takes down the Rams. I, I, I kind of saw that coming because of Atlanta's experience. Um, everybody talked about, you know, 28-3 to losing the Super Bowl. But, you know, they've been there, done that. They've gotten there. And, and the Rams, like I, like I believe I talked about last week, um, I don't really trust that college-style offense. I, you know, and, and I like Goff. I think Goff's better than a lot of people expected. But you never really never really know with a young quarterback, you know, first playoff start, and it, it wasn't great. So, uh, And you want to talk about something that probably put a lot of us to sleep. Jacksonville beats Buffalo 10-3. to That was uh, one of the most boring football games I've ever watched, and I sat there and watched all of it. Bortles, uh, I've kind of been, you know, higher on Bortles than a lot of people have been, especially, you know, going into this season, but that he was atrocious. I mean, that, that was embarrassing. And, and, you know, he comes out and he talks about, um, well, if, if LeBron can get criticized, I'm sure I'll be criticized. You know, a lot of people thought he was trying to make a comparison between himself and LeBron, but I think it was more of just a, um, him putting himself down more kind of like a self-deprecating, uh, comment. So, and then in the last game, New Orleans over Carolina, 31-26. I mean, Drew Brees. I mean, as Broncos fans, we know uh, that Cam Newton hasn't exactly been the same since Super Bowl 50. And, uh, you know, he didn't play bad by any by any means. But, you know, then that running game in New Orleans wasn't that great. And you knew they were going to have to do that and have to make Brees go out and beat him. And, you know, as Brees can and will do, uh, he went and did it. So, and uh, towards the end of the show, again, we'll, I'll preview and pick, you know, the divisional round game. So, but we'll just jump right into it. Like I said, the theme of this week's show is going to be all about the offense, um, something that we know was the issue this year. I mean, you didn't get the same dominant defense that we've come to expect, expect over the last few years from the Broncos, but the offense was the biggest issue, the quarterback position the offensive line, the lack of production from high-paid receivers, no tight end, inconsistent, well, inconsistent running game down the stretch. They started off really well. I mean, I spoke last week about, you know, they beat Dallas and they get out to that 3-1 and start, and I started believing in them 
big time. I started believing in Trevor Simeon even. And um, so they made a lot of changes on the, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, last week, uh, I had mentioned the hire of Sean Kugler to be the offensive line coach. And now we hear that he's actually going to be working with the interior offensive line. So he'll be working with guards and centers. Uh, while they bring in a guy, uh, Chris Strausser, um, he's going to work with the tackles, which is the biggest issue on this team as far as the offensive line goes. I mean, Bowles, he played well. He was very inconsistent, lots of penalties, but he he didn't play like – I mean, he was drafted in, in the middle of the first round. He wasn't this, you know, top five franchise left tackle. So I, I think if you um, kind of keep your expectations away from – him expecting him to be that Joe Thomas type of Hall of Fame uh, left tackle, then I think you get what you um, expect out of him if you just, if you know what to expect. So, and Chris Chris Strausser, 19 years as an offensive line coach in college football. He's spent the last three years uh, working under Chris Peterson, the University of Washington, and he was also at Boise State for seven years prior to that with Peterson. Um, So, you know, not a whole lot we know how to, what to expect from him because, like I said, he he spent most he spent all of his time coaching in college football. So this is his first jump to the pro level, and you know at this point anything can help. You kind of would think you kind of think there's no way that the offensive line play can get worse, but that's exactly what I expected going into this season, and uh, I was wrong. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know how often I've never heard of this to have two. I mean, you got your offensive line coach. He's got he's got his assistant coaches, but you. I don't remember ever hearing about um, two offensive line coaches, one specifically to work with the interior and one to work with the tackles. So that'll be interesting to see if they can uh, make some major improvement there. And we'll talk a little bit later about the possibility of bringing in a guy to play left tackle, draft free agent, and moving Bowles over to right tackle, which I think would be a great idea. Not like I said, not that Bowles played bad this year. He got a lot of penalties, but he's he was always raw. He was, I mean, he he didn't play a whole lot in college, uh, so we kind of knew that coming out that 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 he was raw, and. Um, so hopefully Chris Strausser can work to make Bowles a better left tackle or, or, or maybe Bowles does move to right tackle. But we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later in the show. Uh, they bring in Greg, Greg Williams to be the defensive backs coach. He's got nine years of NFL coaching experience. He spent the last two seasons with the Colts, and uh, he spent seven seasons prior to that as the assistant linebackers and assistant secondary coach with the Chargers. So that's a guy they're bringing in that does have NFL experience. Um, and we've talked about how good that is for Vance Joseph because, you know, Elway hired most of the staff last season, and I don't think VJ was assertive enough over his coaches. I think if he's bringing in guys that he knows, which we hope and we've been told that these are guys that VJ wants, and it's nice to see him bringing in more guys with experience because as a young head coach, even heading into his second season, it's, I mean, he. We saw a lot of things from Vance Joseph that were kind of mind-boggling, and hopefully bringing in guys that have NFL experience can can help him down that road. Now, they bring in Zach Azani to be the wide receivers coach. Um, I've heard a lot of negative feedback on this one, being he's coming from the Bears, who had one of the worst receiving cores. But I, I like to think that you know, you kind of give a guy a chance because, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue even for the lack of production that Denver has a better receiving core just on paper alone uh, than the Bears. So, and the guy's got experience. I mean, he he's uh, had experience as a wide receivers coach in, in college in Tennessee, Wisconsin, Florida, Central Michigan, Bowling Green, 
uh, Valparaiso is where he got his start in the late 90s. Um, and he was also an offensive coordinator in Western Kentucky. Um, so he, he has coaching experience on the offensive side of the ball and specifically the wide receiver position. So, you know, he's the thing comes down to is he's only got one year experience in the NFL. And, it, you know, you could obviously, as far as talent goes for the Bears wide receiving core, not great. So it's hard to completely judge him on that alone, but we'll see what he can do. Um, like I said, Broncos definitely have better weapons and the, their wide receiving core, but who knows if a guy like Emmanuel Sanders is going to be back, a Cody Latimer, who I think they should bring back, a, a Benny Fowler. But we'll, we'll talk also about free agents on the offensive side of the ball later in the show. Uh, they bring in a guy, Tom McMahon, a special teams coach. He's uh, got 11 years of NFL coaching experience, and he's spent the last five with Indianapolis. I'm sure some of you listen to 104.3 The Fan in Denver. They had Pat McAfee on this week. Pat McAfee was raving about Tom McMahon and just the excitement that he thinks he brings to the table and the little intricacies he he uses in different ways of coaching that that make things more exciting on the special teams uh, side of the ball than other coaches seem to do. So it's 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 hard not to get excited about it, but everyone knows when Brock Olivo came onto the scene, he put off this aura about him that brought excitement to the special teams, and he was a huge disappointment. But um, we'll have to see that because Brock, that was Brock Olivo's, uh, Olivo's first year as a special teams coordinator, and, and McMahon's got that experience that hopefully he, he, he brings that to the table uh, for Denver, who, let's be honest, that's the worst, worst by far special teams week in and week out that I, I have ever seen and uh, watching the NFL for as long as I have. So it was kind of embarrassing as a Broncos fan, and I think most of you will agree uh, with that with me. So, you know, they bring these guys in. They've got some experience. A lot of them uh, have uh, a majority of college experience. So, but you can't hold that against them at different level because it's it's still a, a long history of coaching experience. You're, you're talking plenty of years of experience to help VJ, who's only in his second year as, as a head coach and was only um, a defensive coordinator for uh, one year in Miami. So, any time. As a young head coach, you can bring in experience to help you to kind of bounce things off of guys, to to uh, gather um, ideas and opinions about game plans, and um, and th- and that's all great. But I do hope that uh, VJ has learned from the first year and kind of uh, you know becomes more assertive. I think that was, and and that could be part. John Elway could be part of the reason why he wasn't as assertive. But I think that he's been put in a position now to bring in his own guys and I don't think from here on out and you know it's NFL they don't you don't have time they don't really give you time there's no such thing as patience and I think that John Elway showed a great deal of patience not to fire VJ after one year so he's got to get it right this year he's got to get things turned around we're not the Browns we're not the the Lions we're not you we're not used to um historically losing like this is a proud organization with three Super Bowls that is used to winning 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 Super Bowl or bust a year in year out and that's how it needs to be so hopefully VJ has learned from some of the mistakes and like I said mind-boggling I just he, he botched so many things and especially on special teams I mean he, if he I don't he should have been more assertive with Brock Olivo I mean Isaiah McKenzie should not have been given five six chances to uh, hold on to the ball so but that's just the kind of a, a um, an overview of the coaching changes that have been made and it's nice to see them filling out the staff before the senior bowl 
because they they really need to, especially because all these hires in the, are uh, are most of these hires on the offensive side of the ball, and they're going to be looking at guys like a uh, Baker Mayfield, a Josh Allen at quarterback because those are the main positions that they need heading into the draft. So it's nice that they're going to they fill out their coaching staff and they're going to have a hands-on look at these guys uh, in the Senior Bowl. So, you know, sticking with the offensive side of the ball, I kind of want to just talk a little bit about the situation going on with C.J. Anderson. Now, Denver hasn't come right out and said um, that they're considering moving on from C.J. per se or approaching him about a restructure. But, you know, I think that one of the biggest mistakes that this team could potentially make, in my opinion, this offseason is to move on from C.J. Anderson. I know this coaching staff loves Devontae Booker. I don't know why I'm with Cecil Lammy on this one. I don't know why. I don't see it. I, I see him. He's a smaller, slightly faster Brandon Jacobs. I mean, he's, you know, he's the Kool-Aid man. You know, he seems top heavy. I mean, you touch him and he goes down. He's not breaking tackles. And he doesn't, he doesn't really have that speed to get around the corner and I'm not saying CJ does but you got to have one or the other and we know CJ is a bowling ball we know he we know he just grinds and you know he's fought for this team he was part of Super Bowl 50 no one nobody played harder than for the Broncos this year in my opinion so I think it would be a huge mistake uh, to move on from him. I mean, they can approach him about a restructure, but I mean, was, he's going to come back and say, yeah, you're going to come to me and want to restructure after I run for, you know, over a thousand yards and play all 16 games for the first time in my career. I mean, he 4.1 yards per carry. That's, that's solid in today's NFL. And he, like I said, he fights. Nobody, nobody plays harder. He's the definition of kicking and screaming. And we know John Elway wants kicking and screaming. So, I'm not. I'm not even sure that they do approach him for a restructure. But if they do, I. I don't. I don't think that CJ is going to be up for it. But then again, all reports are, um, especially from Cecil Lammy, who uh, in Denver, who's um, good buddies with CJ, is that he wants to be in Denver. He wants to be a Bronco. He wants to continue to build on, on what he's helped uh, build as an undrafted uh, rookie, free agent a few years ago. So it's, it's, it's kind of. Um, Precurious that that there would even kind of be that little hint of moving on from CJ because in my opinion and this is not I don't even think this is a biased opinion I think this is very objective just use your eyes I'm a big eye test guy I mean stats are stats everybody wants to look at stats stats are important I'm not gonna uh, you know downgrade the importance of stats but I'm a big eye test guy and for me CJ Anderson passes the eye test for what you'd like from 53 guys on your roster so. I think it would be a huge mistake uh, to move on him from him. So, but we'll we'll kind of see how that goes. And sticking with the offensive side of the ball, DT, I think he's the most underappreciated player on this team. I know there are plenty of people in Denver who want to see DT gone. Drops this, drops that. I, look, I'll be the first to admit the dude's what six three, two hundred and thirty pounds, but he he plays as if he's the size of an Emmanuel Sanders. And I get that. Trust me, I get it. But I don't think it's for a lack of effort. I think that he's just so good and so physically gifted that it kind of takes you off guard when he, he it looks effortless. It doesn't look like he's putting everything he has into it, but I believe he is. And, you know, the drops haven't been as big an, of an issue lately. And listen, 
I know we were going to talk about the lack of production from the wide receivers on this team, but the lack of production from the wide receivers is directly a correlated to the lack of production at the quarterback position and the offensive line position. Wide receiver is the most dependent position on the field. So if you want to approach DT about a restructure, I think you could. I think you could, you know, sprinkle a little uh, salary cap fairy dust on whatever you have to do to get it done. I think he'd be willing to as long as he's still going to get his money. I don't think it matters as as much of when he's going to get it because he doesn't want to go anywhere. As a 30-year-old receiver who's built his career here in Denver, I mean, you could say Rod Smith. I still think Rod Smith's the best, but DT makes a strong case uh, for uh, you know best Broncos wide receiver, at least in recent memory. And I think it would at least be smart to approach him about it because you know they can they can work things out, you know, throw numbers around a little bit and 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 get it done. And I think DT would probably be more willing to restructure as opposed to a CJ Anderson would be. But like I said. I want DT to stay. He well, let's be honest. He's not going anywhere. He has, uh, I believe, the number is like fifteen million dollars in dead money if you try to cut him. So, costs more to cut him than it does to just keep paying him what he is now. But a restructure is always possible. And staying at the wide receiver position, Emmanuel Sanders. Look, I love Emmanuel Sanders. He's, I think, he's a fan favorite favorite for a lot of people, if not all, uh, Broncos fans. But. I'm not sure that you can continue to pay this kind of money to two receivers and continue to get the lack of production. I know I said it's directly correlated to the quarterback position, but in order to improve that quarterback position, they have to clear they have to clear cap space. They have no choice. So I don't personally want to see Emmanuel Sanders go, but I think that they're going to have to at least explore trade options. And I think there'll be um, some teams willing to at least engage in talks with the Broncos I don't know how much you're really going to get for him I don't know how much any of us should expect to get for him but I think you have to look as if as if you can get anything of value for him that what you're doing is you're clearing cap space to hopefully get Kirk Cousins we'll talk about that later but like I said, you have to you have to make cap room, and he's one of the guys that you can't cut him. I um I don't know the exact number on the dead money, but I don't think it's it's worth it to cut him. And I think there's gonna be teams, you know, maybe the Dallas Cowboys that are gonna be interested. You know, he's from Texas. Uh, they'll be interested in making a trade for him. You know, you've heard about Des Bryant maybe on on his way out, and Emmanuel Sanders uh, could be an, a nice replacement. I mean, he's not he's not exactly Des Bryant, at least not in size, but he's going to give you a hell of a lot more effort than I've ever seen Des Bryant give on the field, which is a big reason why I don't want to see him go. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes and to see if they ultimately find a trade partner and to see if there's any reports coming out that they're actually engaged in trade, in trade talks uh, for Emmanuel Sanders. But like I said, you can't fix the offensive line and quarterback issues if you continue to pay um, two receivers, number one wide receiver money, and and not really get that kind of production out of either of them. So again, um, like I said, the theme of the show is offense, and we're going to kind of talk about the unrestricted free agents that the uh, Broncos have. And keep in mind, when I'm talking about keeping uh, some of these guys, which is not a lot, <laughs> I think that they should let the majority of them go and move on, um, whether it be from lack of production, age, injury, uh, you know, whatever. Um, keep in mind that I think that when they bring these guys back, it has to be at the Broncos price. And I think that that won't be hard to do because I think these guys uh, want to stay with the Broncos. And I think that their value on the open market isn't as high as 
honestly as high as maybe some of them personally may think. Um, but we'll just kind of go through uh, a, a list of, of guys. Now, first on my list, and I'm going to say right off the bat, keep. You got to keep Cody Latimer, in my opinion. He came on real strong down the stretch. Um, you know, he had he had a good rapport with he, – he tend to have a good rapport with any of the quarterbacks that were out there, you know, obviously besides Paxton Lynch, but that's a whole other story. But he really had that rapport with uh, with Brock. So I like Cody. He's a big guy. Um, he's fast. He's a hell of a special teams player. That alone you should pay him. Um, um, he – if you take him for kind of what he is now, if you kind of think back to when Denver drafted him second – uh, in the second round of the playoffs, you didn't get that kind of production, a second-round receiver who I believe they moved up to, to draft him. But he's kind of built himself a little, like I said, he's a solid, solid guy, especially on special teams. But I think he can contribute. I don't know if he's going to go out there and be a consistent number three receiver. He's not going to be a number two receiver. And I can't say for sure that he's going to go out there and be a consistent number three. But I, I'm not sure that you need him to be that. You got a healthy uh, Carlos Henderson coming back who was expected to be that inside slot guy and making plays. So if Carlos Henderson can come back healthy and be consistent enough and productive enough on the inside, then maybe you can slide Cody uh, Latimer out to the outside and continue to play him there. But that that that's kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of a lot of you are going to be like, you're crazy. Why would you even uh, consider that? But I don't know. I like I like his game. I know, I know there's, you know, it's always been that, oh, he shines in practice and doesn't bring it to the field on Sundays. But I think he's kind of turned that corner, you know, years later than we all expected or wanted him to. But if you take him for what he is now, just a solid player, I do think he can be uh, productive for them uh, going forward. And the list of guys that I want to let go is long. Virgil Green. You know, I've liked Virgil Green. I don't think that the Broncos have done him any favors. I think they've they've gone away from what he was one of his strong suits, or at least seemed to be one of his strong suits earlier in the seat, early in his career. Is that he is a receiving threat. He's got the speed. He's he's just not as consistent, and he's a great blocking receiver. But kind of at this point, as a Broncos fan, you're like throw anyone in there to block. I need someone who's going to be consistent, who's going to be a down-the-field threat. He's one of these guys that's going to uh, dominate, and he's tough for linebackers to cover. He's tough for safeties to cover. Um, a guy like if we get a healthy Jake Butt. I mean, if you get Jake Button here, and he – look, I'm not asking him to be Gronk. I'm not asking him to be Kelsey. Um, you don't need him to be that because you've got a guy like a DT still at 30 years old who can dominate on the outside. And hell, if somehow they keep Emmanuel Sanders, he can be dominant too. It's all dependent on the quarterback position. But if you add another threat in the middle of the field who can make plays and you know be a, a big-time red zone threat, I think that would be huge. And I do think that Jake Butt can be that guy. You're talking about a guy who was going to be a first-rounder before his, his injury. So... Virgil, I think his time's up. It's kind of run his course in Denver. So I think you let him go. I think you let a guy like Donald Stevenson go. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me there. Uh, just overall lack of production. Um, there's a lot of hype of him coming over from Kansas City. And, and you heard a lot of things from people inside Kansas City that there was a reason why they were letting him go. But 
he's there was still kind of somewhat of an excitement that Denver was bringing him in because we knew we needed the help and he's he's a big dude who was somewhat productive in Kansas City but you can kind of tell that that's where his, his production stopped so he's been he was a disappointing signing um Jamal Charles now don't label this one and I don't think anybody would label this one under the disappointments I would say if you're going to label it under disappointments when it comes to Jamal Charles, you label it under a dis. I'm disappointed in the Broncos that they brought on Jamal Charles and did not use him in the proper way and didn't at least do him a favor by letting him go and letting him catch on with a playoff team. I mean, this dude is, has worked his ass off to get back. And he he had flashes of being the old Jamal Charles. You let him go. Let him go. Let him get on with the playoff team because you know there's going to be one that will sign him. Hell, even the Patriots. And let him go get a chance at the ring. No, instead you make him inactive for the last few games. You uh, uh, do that in order so you don't have to pay him a roster bonus. But it's it blew my mind. If you're not going to do it, let him go. You're not on the hook for much. Just let him go. Let him catch on. Um, I just don't think you want to continue to have him there. I think... Jamal Charles is done with the with the Broncos. He wouldn't even consider returning because of the situation that they've put him in. They didn't use him right. They could have gotten a hell of a lot more out of him, especially to take the pressure off the you know lackluster quarterback situation. So, but you got you got to let him go. I've, uh, who knows if he catches on somewhere? I mean, he's not his old self, but I'm sure there's going to be a t- team willing to take a flyer on him like the Broncos were this year, and hopefully they'll end up using him better for uh, his sake. So a guy like Alan Barber, you got to let him go. I mean, it was an experiment. You bring him on. First of all, the whole situation with the guard position on this team was just, I mean, confusing, disappointing, embarrassing, in fact. I mean, you bring in a, a guy like a Ronald Leary, who's a top-notch left guard, and you move him over to left guard because where he didn't want to play uh, because a guy like Max Garcia is not comfortable there. And I talked a little bit about that last week. That it's just like, how what kind of sense does that make? You move your you know your top tier left guard, and you move him over to right guard because your young guy who's been a, a disappointment um, since he's been here. Oh, you know, I I get that you're trying to make your young guy more comfortable, but you're compounding the situation. So in, so instead of just leaving your Leary at left guard and having being solid there and working out the right guard situation, you just make both situations a. Uh, uh, you know, a mess. So yeah, a guy like Alan Barber, you got to let him go. And a guy like Billy Turner, same thing. Got to let him go. Not much production from him. Not much, much production from anyone on the offensive line. But I mean, that's as, as important as the quarterback position is. I think the offensive lines is almost right there with it. So you got to kind of move on from these guys that you had lack of production with and, 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 in my opinion, some of the worst seasons offensive line of I've, I've ever seen. It's actually embarrassing to watch them every week, and I'm sure as Broncos fans listening right now, you will agree with that. It's, it's, it is. It's embarrassing. That's the, that's the number one word I can use for the Broncos season this year. It's just embarrassing. I mean, that's, that's the word that, that comes to my mind. And then we get to a guy like a Brock Osweiler. Listen, I think Brock would be a, a solid backup. For this team i'd love to have brock as a backup the only problem is are you really going to keep three quarterbacks especially two from the current quarterback room i mean they have to keep paxton lynch it costs them more to cut him than it costs them to just keep him and kind of just you know not dress him 
So I think you, especially with the quarterback situation coming up this offseason, I think that, you know, if they go and get a guy like Cousins, I mean, that's their guy. But if they can't get a guy like Cousins and they're planning on drafting a quarterback, I do think that they are going to have that bridge quarterback that they're going to sign. You know, that as Mark Schlereth would say, that that middle-ish of June adult quarterback. And I and I think that's that that's the right route to go. Obviously, I've talked about it over and over, and I'll continue to talk about it. You go after Cousins. He's number one on my wish list, which I'll talk about later. But if you don't, you got to get, you know, that bridge quarterback um, and maybe you take quarterback at number five. And I honestly, I think Brock Brock could be that bridge quarterback because if you're thinking a bridge quarterback and you're drafting a guy, if you're not going to start that guy right away, you kind of need an, uh, a, an experienced veteran quarterback that can go in there and play, and, you know, at least the first, what, four or five weeks and kind of work the rookie into it. Or maybe you draft a guy and go with him right away and then there's no reason to really – uh, keep a Brock Osweiler, um, and then you just go out and get a cheaper um, veteran quarterback uh, to fill that need. But Brock, I say you let him go because I don't see there being an option. I mean, I know he loves Denver. He's come out and said it in press conferences. He loves the city. He loves the team. He loves the fans. He loves the state of Colorado. He wants to be there, but I'm not sure that he his number is going to match the number what the Broncos are willing to pay him to come back. Um, so in 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 a perfect world, you clear out the entire uh, quarterback's room. But like I said, Paxton Lynch is uh, too expensive to uh, release. So just that's the list of uh, un- unrestricted uh, free agents to go over. Like I said, Cody Latimer is the only one I keep. You know, you let got Virgil Green, Donald Stevenson, Jamal Charles, Alan Barber, Billy Turney, Brock Osweiler. I think you kind of let them all go and move on and, and look to get, you know, you know maybe, maybe you do get you know, sign veteran free agents. Maybe it's not all building through the draft, but they got to be at your number. So, you know, all Broncos, even if they're bringing back some of these guys, I want everything to be at the Broncos price this year. Look, I know I've been a big proponent for Kirk Cousins and he's not going to be at the Broncos price, but that's, that's just different. That's, that's quarterback position wasting quarterback position. Totally different. So if we go on next to restricted free agents, no one's going to disagree with me on this one. At least I don't think you should, but you keep Matt Paradis. You find you you put a tender on him. I don't know what kind of tender you'd have to put on him to avoid teams um, trying to sign him. Uh, I think it was a mistake a couple years ago for them to go with. I believe it was a fifth round tender on C.J. Anderson. So Miami comes in and goes, okay, yeah, okay, we'll do we'll do that and sign him. So then you end up having to pay C.J. Anderson more than you really wanted to. And uh, look at that situation. But I think you keep Matt Paradis. Um, he's one of the most underrated centers in the league. He doesn't get the, the, I mean, listen, I know we're talking about offensive lines, so you're not talking about big storylines or anything like that, but he's he's one of those guys who's who's probably another guy who's underappreciated by Broncos fans. Not directly and, and out you know outspoken about it as a whole. I don't hear people bashing Matt Paradis as, as they bash uh, DT, but I think Matt Paradis is another guy that people don't understand how consistent he is and how he's... He's always one of the top centers in the league year in and year out. This next restricted free agent, I've gone back and forth, back and forth, because I like him. I like the way he plays. I like his effort. He's And he's shown flashes. But I think you have to let go of a guy like a Benny Fowler. I think, like I said, he's shown flashes, but I think he's been way too inconsistent. And they kind of expected him coming into the season you know, once Carlos Henderson went down, they kind of expected him to take over the role at that third as that third receiver, and he really just didn't produce. I mean, he had a great opening night, two touchdowns, but he inconsistent overall. 
And another reason why I say you let go of him is because um, I say you keep Cody Latimer. Um, so you can't really keep both those guys because you're going to get you know the lack of production you got overall from them at the wide receiver position. At least Cody brings a lot to the table when it comes to special teams. And uh, you get a healthy Carlos Henderson back next year. Um, so you got to kind of move on from the, the lack of production you've gotten from Benny Fowler and move on to the, the somewhat unknown, at least on the field for, for any games in the NFL and a Carlos Henderson. So I think that gives you multiple reasons that you really need to consider moving on from Benny Fowler. And in my opinion, I think they will. So sticking with the offense, like I said, the theme of the show is offense, offense, offense. And you know, that's where seven's going to spend most of his time trying to figure things out in the off season. And I kind of have a, a few ideas or uh, uh, opinions on how you can fix the offensive line. You have your core guys. You have your core guys like a Paradis, like a Ronald Leary, uh, and a Garrett Bowles. I, like I talked about earlier, Garrett Bowles, if you want to work out a way, if you can get a guy in here to play left tackle, you know, maybe at number five, you know, maybe they've got Kirk Cousins, they figured out the quarterback situation for the near future, and, and you want to draft a guy at five like a Mike McGlinchey. You know, is he worthy of a number five pick? Yeah, I think so. I, I think he's he's arguably the best left tackle in college football. And I think you kind of, if you bring in a Mike McGlinchey, you immediately put him at left tackle and you move Garrett Bowles over to right tackle. And that doesn't mean that Garrett Bowles can't be considered a core guy just because there's the option of moving him from left tackle, which is, our you know, the most important position on the offensive line. But we, he, he has the athletic ability to move to, to play either side. But I think if you bring in a guy like a Mike McGlinchey because he is worth the number five pick, he is that guy that you can consider like a franchise left tackle. So you immediately move Bulls over to right tackle if that's the case. So, But you got your three core guys, Paradis, Bulls, Leary. You move Leary back to left guard, obviously, for obvious reasons. Now, we'll talk um, some about the free agents coming up on the offensive line. And that and if there's guys on that list that you, you can bring in, then you do keep Bowles at left tackle and you move Leary back to left guard and maybe you take a guy like a Quentin Nelson uh, the, with a number five pick in the draft. Is he worth a number five pick? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people will say, what do you do in, in situations when it comes to the draft? Do you go best player available? Do you go for need? But you're talking about at, the, at number five, both of those guys are worthy of being considered best play of, player available, and they are at a need. So I think either of those guys, a Quentin Nelson or a Mike McGlinchey, both um, Notre Dame offensive linemen, would be great to have at, at that position. And, and like I said, that has to mean that you've figured out the quarterback position before you're even entering the draft in order to make a move like that. And there's always the possibility that you can get a Nelson and a McGlinchey back a little bit in, in the first round. I mean, you're probably not going to be able to get them out of the top 10 but if you want to move back a little bit and kind of um, collect and hoard some extra draft picks, I'm totally up for that too, especially if you bring in Kirk Cousins at quarterback position. You've got that figured out. You don't have to worry about the quarterback in the first round or even the second round uh, for that matter. So we're going to talk, you know, offensive lineman free agent class, not very strong. I mean, after a guy like a Nate Solder who's um, – there's rumors of him potentially just just retiring and, and, and he wouldn't be available, but I think – as you know, as free agent class, I think if you can bring in a Nate Solder to play left tackle, I mean, you you that's I mean you figured that out. You move Bowles to right tackle. Don't even have to worry about McGlinchey. Maybe you maybe maybe you bring in a Nate Solder and a Kirk Cousins, and you move Bowles to right tackle, Leary back to left guard, and you draft 
uh, Quentin Nelson to play right guard at number five. I mean, I know it sounds a perfect world, like a dream world, but that's always a possibility. So Nate Solder is obviously the top of the offensive line free agent class, but after that it gets pretty weak. You got a guy like um, Greg Robinson, who most recently with the Lions, you know, he was uh, top pick from the Rams, and he's been a disappointment. And you, you, the thing is, they've done the second tier and this is a weak class, as I said. Nate Solder, he's the only first-tier uh, tackle you're going to find. He's probably the only first-tier offensive lineman you're going to find in this year's free agent class. So after that, it gets pretty weak, and, and you're going to have to overpay for these guys because that's how the class dictates it. So teams are going to be needing these guys, and they're going to overpay. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I'll, arg I'll argue later about Kirk Cousins. A lot of people will call it overpaying. I call it paying whatever you have to do to get a guy. And like I said, Craig, Greg, the drop off from Solder to Robinson is huge. So you kind of, you really don't want to go over that route. You'd like to see them bring in a Nate Solder or draft a Mike McGlinchey and not try again to bring in one of these second tier tackles and uh, to try to improve in that position because they've done it two consecutive years in a row with uh, uh, Donald Stevenson and Medelik Watson. I mean, it's 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 hard. I know it's not easy, but you you got to be able to figure it out and. If you're somehow able to nail a guy like uh, bringing a guy like Nate Solder, I mean that'd be huge. And after that, it falls off even more. You know, a Chris Chris Clark, a former Bronco who was traded to Houston. Um, you know, um, a Gary Gilliam from San Francisco. I mean, a, a Byron Bell from Dallas. I mean, it's it, I'm telling you, it gets real weak from there on out. And that's just the tackles. I mean, I I can I've only got three guys listed at guard for. Um, the offensive uh, line free agency class because I thought those were the only three guys worth writing down. And that's Luke Jokel, Sean Lobo, and uh, uh, Andre Smith. And do any of those guys excite you? Do any of those guys have you salivating, saying seven, bring them in, bring them in? No, they don't. Which is which is a weak offensive line free agent class, as I've said over and over. And that's more reason that I think that you should use the number five pick on an offensive lineman like a Quentin Nelson or a Mike McGlinchey. And you got to figure out the quarterback position, which is what we're going to talk about next. If you can get the quarterback situation figured out, at least for the near future, you can work on using that draft pick to bring an offensive lineman that's worthy worthy of the pick and really improve. And what I've said, if you, I've said this before, if you can bring in, um, if you can improve the offensive line, I, I think a guy like Trevor Simeon could have been uh, productive. Uh, Brock Osweiler could have been productive. Uh, Paxton Lynch. No, I don't believe so because let's all be honest, he's just a complete bust, and I'll continue to argue with Paxson Lynch fanboys about this. So, next, like I said, we're going to talk about quarterbacks. We're going to talk about my quarterback wish list. My wish list is probably going to be pretty obvious to uh, most of you as Broncos fans. Number one, we're starting with free agents. Number one, Kirk Cousins, obviously. I think he's underrated for those who say, "Oh, don't overpay him. Don't overpay him." You know, he's not worth thirty million dollars. He's, you know, he's not worth thirty plus, and and I think he is. I think he's worth that, and I think he's worth draft picks. If ultimately somehow the situation works itself into that, where you have to give up draft picks, I'd give up the number five pick and pay Kirk Cousins thirty million dollars. Hell yeah, I would. I mean, he's. I said this last week. He's not Brady. He's not Breeze. He's not Roger. He's not these top tier guys. But I do believe he's a legitimate second tier NFL starting quarterback. And you know, okay, you have to overpay. That's what everyone wants to call it. You have to overpay. I mean, I I was uh talking earlier to Mike Evans from 1043 the fan on uh about the Kirk Cousins situation. And and I said, you know, 
you have to pay the price for Cousins because he's already a proven commodity, a legitimate NFL starting quarterback. And, you know, and I told him, remember, you, of all people, you said it's a crapshoot, the NFL draft. So you want to go through that again and draft a guy in the first round and hope he develops like you did with Paxton Lynch? I go with the proven commodity. And he, his answer to me was a losing career record, one playoff game, that's proven. And I told him, listen, I hear what you're saying, but you got to look at his numbers. And as bad as Denver's offense was this year, they still have more weapons right now than Washington did. He's, and and like, I've, like I started to say, he's not Brady, he's not Brees, he's not Rodgers, but he is the Matt Ryans, the, 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 the Staffords, the Smiths, the hell, the even Rivers at this point right now. You And you, do, would any of you not take that? I think you'd all take that, or you all should take that. I mean, and it's, you call it overpaying. I call it doing what you have to do to get a guy. He's already a guy. He's a second tier, as I said, starting NFL quarterback. And as his partner on the morning show, Stink, always says, if you don't have a guy, you don't have a chance. And I think that Cousins can and needs, and I've got this this confidence that he will be the guy that they do because I think Seven's going to do whatever he has to do to bring him in. You know, you, you, it's setting the market, everyone. Oh, it's setting the market it's, it's by paying him $30 million. I mean, you have to these guys when it comes time for a guy who's worthy of 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 paying just just paying period as a starting quarterback you have to set the market each time that's the way the game is going that's the, that's just how it is so like i said if you don't have a guy you don't have a chance like stink always says and i agree with him number 2 on my wish list would be, have been or is but it won't happen is jimmy g i mean jimmy garoppolo you know he sits behind tom brady and and, and he goes he goes to san francisco and He's basically putting on a show over in San Francisco. I know his numbers aren't glaring like out of this world. And I saw a couple of days ago that his numbers compare out to Colin Kaepernick and his last uh, five uh, five or six games played. And I just I think that's laughable. Listen, is Colin Kaepernick worthy of being on an NFL roster? Yes. Could he start for NFL team? Yes. Um, there's definitely some teams that he could definitely start from. But if you're not one of these top guys who's going to be a game changer, uh, a season changer, and lead your team consistently to the playoffs and just and just be, look, he's a playmaker, he's athletic, but he's not one of those guys that's going to change your franchise. So therefore, all of this extra stuff of him, you know, go off the field, it's just not worth it. And, and the sooner Colin Kaepernick fans come to grips with that, the sooner they're going to understand why teams aren't signing him. Um, but like I said, they love Jimmy G out in San Francisco. I, he's not going to go anywhere, but he would be number two on my on my wish list. I want to throw him on here because he really is. Um, he he he's shown that he can ultimately be a, a a legitimate NFL starting quarterback. I think you he's almost um on the same level as Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins got a little more experiences, which why I put him ahead of him. So, but like I said, I don't see that happening. He's going to stay in San Francisco. They love him there. So. And third on my list is another guy that is showing you how weak the uh, free agent quarterback wish list is um, because number three on my list is Drew Brees. And that's, I know that's a pipe dream. I can't imagine New Orleans letting him go. Um, he's going to he's gonna retire a Saint. I, re- I truly believe that. If, I mean, if somehow some miracle happens and he's available, I mean, you, yeah, you go all in on him. You go all in on Drew Brees, and you bring him. You bring him here to Denver, and 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 I think you could immediately turn into a Super Bowl contender. I, I don't think a lot of people would disagree with that. So, but fourth on my list, and and 
Um, it's a it's it's a strong free agent class as far as quarterbacks available. I don't know if the the talent uh, level of the quarterbacks is is all that great, but my fourth guy on my list, which would be uh, the guy they ultimately would probably pursue the most if they don't get a Kirk Cousins, it would be Case Keenum. And I think he's perfect. He's solid. I mean, he's got a great defense in Minnesota, which is the reason why he's played so well. He doesn't he doesn't have to do too much. Um, and he's the perfect bridge quarterback. I, I'm not sure that there's anyone that would be available if Case Keenum becomes available, which Minnesota, they're going to keep that defense around for a while, so I don't think it would be smart of them to let him go. But I think he's the perfect bridge quarterback if they end up having to go that direction. Like I said, if they don't get number one on the uh, wish list, which is uh, Kirk Cousins, which I think it is for everybody. So, But it's just a little list of my free agent quarterback wish list. And next we'll talk about my wish list as far as rookie quarterbacks go. Number one, which um, a lot of people go back and forth over who should be number one, a Josh Rosen, a Sam Darnold. And for me, Josh Rosen would be number one on my rookie quarterback wish list. He's already come out and said that he doesn't want to play for the Browns, which is smart. Let's be honest. I mean, people say, oh, it's selfish. You should just you should just be happy just for the opportunity to play in the NFL, which is what Sam Darnold said. But I don't blame him at all. I mean, you don't think it was smart of Eli to say he's not going to play for the Chargers? I mean, you don't think it was a smart career move for Eli to force force his way to ultimately being traded to the Giants? I think if the Giants have Phillip Rivers and Eli goes in place for the Chargers, I still think the Giants have those two Super Bowls. I think overall that Eli Manning is 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 a solid quarterback, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's got two rings, but Rivers, I in my opinion, is a better quarterback pound for pound for my money. Um, he's just been stuck in an awful situation in San Diego. So it was smart for Eli to do that. And when you talk about Josh Rosen, I mean, physical abilities, we know he's got it. We know he's got all the intangibles. We know he's confident. And, we, and you know, he's kind of borderline cocky, you know, arrogant even maybe. You know, similar to a guy that, you know, I believe is the best quarterback in the NFL right now and one of, if not the best, just from – you know, I talked earlier, uh, you know, stats, stats are important, but I'm an eye test guy. When I use my eyes and I watch all the quarterbacks I've ever watched play, you know, I love seven. Seven's always going to be number one in my heart, but Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback all around, just from everything he brings to the table. And I think Josh Rosen probably brings uh, that kind of confidence, which is something that Denver could truly re- like desperately use at the quarterback situation. It's just, you know, is he going to be available at number five? I think they're going to have to move up, uh, at least up to that number two pick with the Giants, because if the Browns listen to Rosen not wanting to be there and uh, they go with a you know a Darnold, then I think that uh, maybe the Giants will be willing to listen to the Broncos if they really want Rosen uh, that bad. Um, one of the knocks on him is is does he really love football? You know that was one of the knocks on Johnny Manziel. We knew Johnny Manziel didn't didn't uh, love football. Johnny Manziel was worried about the money. I mean he came from money, so he just want he you know he's greedy. He's worried about he's worried about being Johnny Manziel. Um, the, the the celebrity, so and you know Josh Rosen isn't like that. I'm not I'm not concerned with Josh Rosen just wanting to be some uh, big time celebrity, but the, he comes from money as well, so he doesn't need the game of football um, to fulfill his his life or or to build you know his brand uh, to, to to make money off of it. But he actually you know he appears to love the game to me but it's like does he need the game so we'll kind of have to see how that plays out but he's would be number one on my wish list for rookie quarterbacks he would be the rookie 
that I'd want to see uh, seven go up and get. And I'd, I'd totally be willing to uh, make the kind of deal that that even Chicago had to make to move up to get Trubisky because, in my opinion, Rosen just right off the bat using your eye test is better than Trubisky. But, and I like Trubisky. I think Trubisky's a legitimate quarterback who's, who's going to develop. I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be a top guy, but he can be, you know, just as we were talking about with a guy like a Kirk Cousins, a second-tier guy who's, who, can, who can get you there and, and, and he can win. So Rosen is definitely a guy that if I'm seven and the opportunity comes and Donald goes off the board at one to Cleveland, I get on the phone with the Giants and say, hey, listen, let's talk. So it'll be interesting to see come draft time, and we'll talk more and more about the draft as we're still we're still months away from the draft, so we got a lot of time. So number two on my um, rookie quarterbacks wish list would be Sam Darnold, and I don't think there's any question about him that he you know he loves the game, and and I think you'll hear from a lot of people that um, you know you hear from guys like Cecil Lammy that you know there's no such thing as pro ready, and I and. I agree with him. I mean, I, I don't know how you could say a guy coming from college football is, is ready to play with the elite of the elite because 1% of college players go on to play in the NFL. But I think from an overall skill uh, standpoint, intangible standpoint, mentally, I think that if you're going to call a guy pro-ready, that he ultimately is the most pro-ready guy. He, you know, he had an inconsistent, uh, at least to start to the season at USC. But um, I wouldn't mind seeing him in orange. Um, I think... In my opinion, it drops off significantly from Josh Rosen to Sam Darnold, but from Sam Darnold to the rest of the class drops off, uh, you know, exponentially more. So he is on my list, wish list for rookie quarterbacks at number two. Um, I, I I wouldn't be upset at all, but I honestly I think the Josh Rosen I don't I wouldn't get on the phone with the Giants to make a trade to make sure they don't take Sam Darnold. I think you just, hey, we want Sam Darnold. Maybe he falls to five. I don't think you make that kind of move for a Sam Darnold, but I would make it for a, a Josh Rosen. So, But number three, Baker Mayfield. Listen, he's kind of like a polarizing uh, figure at this point, uh, especially for a team like the Broncos who needs a quarterback, and there's so much talk about him potentially going to the Broncos. And listen, he's kind of grown on me. I mean, I, I watched the the Rose Bowl and his his passion, his confidence, his as you know, as a lot of people like to say in the kids these days, you know, his swagger, and he has all of that. He really does. He brings a lot to the table when it comes to that. But it's I worry about his his skill set transitioning to the NFL and his mental capacity. You know, he's he's running this RPO style offense at Oklahoma. You know, where he's he doesn't have to make as many reads. Um, as traditional pro style offense quarterback would make, but they're going to get a hands-on look at him um, at the senior bowl. Maybe they fall in love with him. Would I take him at number five? I told you, told you last week. No, absolutely not. I would not take him at number five. If you start getting to the later uh, picks in the first round and you want to take that number five pick you got in the second round and and pair it with an uh, on another uh, mid round pick and move up to back get back into the uh, first round and go and get a guy like a Baker Mayfield late in the first round, I'd absolutely be all for that. You know, the Browns did it uh, a few years ago with Johnny Manziel, but I think, although not a completely different story, I do think it is a different story because, like I've said, Baker Mayfield, you can tell he loves the game. You, you, you can just tell. You can tell that he's not worried about – he's not selfish, and he's going to go out there and he's going to light a fire under your team, and he's going to bring that confidence, that passion that we truly desperately need at the quarterback position. And the thing is, if you go with a guy like Baker Mayfield – I think that's because you've you've brought in a bridge quarterback. 
you know, if it's a guy that's on my uh, wish list, like a Case Keenum, or if it's any of the guys that the Vikings let go, if you want to bring in a Sam Bradford, I'd advise against it. But if he's just there to be a bridge quarterback to a guy like Baker Mayfield, okay. If a Teddy Bridgewater is brought in to bring a, be a bridge guy to a guy like Baker Mayfield, then okay, I'm okay with that. And I think that um, no matter what's being done, I think Seven is going to be very upfront with us uh, with his plans. So it's 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 going to be very interesting to see no matter what where Baker Mayfield goes but even more interesting if Denver falls in love with him and then uh, even considers taking him at number 5 which I think would be a mistake but you know maybe actually instead of if waiting um and moving back into the first maybe you do trade back maybe you do fall in love with Baker Mayfield and realize you can get him towards the you know towards 10 12 15 um in the first round then then maybe you go ahead and do that but i only do that if you've got that bridge quarterback in mind or already in place uh to to sit in front of him and for him to kind of learn from like i said at least the first you know quarter of the season i would say at minimum and uh, next on my uh rookie quarterback wish list is a uh, uh, josh allen now you know elway was at the uh uh potato bowl uh, to watch Josh Allen and he put on a little bit of a show I mean you know the three touchdowns he didn't throw the ball a whole lot and you you saw a little bit of it inconsistencies because he's a raw he's a raw he's 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 a project in my opinion and 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 I don't I wouldn't necessarily put him on the level of a project as I would put Paxton Lynch was but I don't think you're getting a a, a even a, a, a proven uh college uh, style quarterback because of the lack of competition. Now, listen, you people can say Carson Wentz, Joe Flacco, and um, I, I, right now Carson Wentz for my money is, is is better than Joe Flacco has ever been, even with his uh, Super Bowl ring. I think Joe Flacco, I would put that as the ceiling. And like I said, you could say, oh, he's won a Super Bowl, but let's be honest, he he got hot at the right time. I don't think anyone's putting Joe Flacco as a top-tier quarterback, and I, I'm not sure there's many people putting him as like a second-tier guy. So I think Josh Allen, the, his comparisons to a Carson Wentz or Joe Flacco aren't exactly accurate, but I think Joe Flacco would be the ceiling for a guy like a Josh Allen as a project quarterback. So I would kind of avoid that if you can get him. If he falls to where I think he's more worthy of, which wouldn't even be that top uh um, top of the line second round pick maybe uh, if you can get him later on in the second moving up from the third or even take him with the third pick if you got that bridge quarterback in mind or even if it's you bring in Kirk Cousins and you go okay we got Kirk Cousins and Kirk you know I said last week Kirk Cousins got what at least at least five to seven solid prime years uh, left so if you want to bring in a guy like a Josh Allen to sit behind him for a few years and and work on him as a project then I then I get that but we know sevens he's he's going to learn from his mistakes as far as going young uh, at the quarterback position number five on my quarterbacks rookie wish list is one that I'm going to tell you I'm not very ex- excited about even the possibility but I kind of put him on the same level as a Josh Allen that he is a project and that if you do bring in a guy like Kirk Cousins and you want to go ahead and let this guy sit behind him then go ahead and bring in a guy like a Lamar Jackson I mean that to me as a rookie as a as a top talked about uh rookie quarterback who's who's even had um you know predictions of him going in the first round I think Lamar Jackson's more of like a last resort um I, I don't take him in the first round I mean if you're desperate, you take him with that early second round pick. But like I said, similar to Josh Allen, I think, I think if you take him any higher than mid rounds, it's kind of a desperation move, and and I don't think Elway wants to do that. 
because I don't think Elway, I don't think he wants to to draft another project, you know. And, and and as I've said, unless they have a Cousins or a bridge quarterback in place, I don't think there's there's any reason for him to do that. And I don't think he wants to do that. And I don't know, but none of us want him to do that. I don't believe. And and I don't think he'll make the mistake of going cheap and young at the quarterback uh, position <clears throat> again. Anyway, but you know, a little fun note here on the side. Uh, it was. Today was the 31-year anniversary of the drive, you know, in the 1987 uh, AFC Championship game with the Broncos and uh, Browns. Elway takes the team. Look, if we can get Elway back in uniform playing like he used to, we'd be set. Uh, You know, he takes team to five minutes, 98 yards, and 15 plays and ties the game, and they go on to win in overtime. I mean, that that was the game that kind of began the, the, the real legacy of John Elway and and, and when people think of clutch quarterback, all-time great quarterback, they think of the drive, they think of John Elway. So if any any opportunity we have to get a guy in here that could be anything like him, I think will definitely improve the quarterback situation. So, you know, we're kind of going to wrap up the show here. Um, you know, we'll talk more and more about the draft as we get closer. Uh, you know, as I've said and I will continue to say, um, I think you got to be all in on Kirk Cousins to fix this quarterback situation. I don't think there's there's any other direction that you could go that would give any of us the type of con- confidence that going with a Kirk Cousins would be. And for those of you that say, oh, don't overpay for a quarterback, don't overpay for a quarterback, I mean, he's not worth it, he's not worth $30 million. I'm going to tell you right now, and I know this is my opinion, um, you're, I think you're wrong. I think you're absolutely wrong. I think he has all the ability to come over here, and you know what's Washington going to do for him? What's Daniel Snyder going to do for him? You know, then they they've completely botched this entire situation. You know that Elway, you know Seven's going to put it all on the line and do whatever he has to do to put a team around Cousins. Uh, you know, spring, you know, sprinkling that salary cap fairy dust I talk about, and just moving some numbers around and getting it done. And and I think you ha- absolutely have to go all in on Cousins, and and that's going to be a, a strong point in all of my shows um, throughout the off season because that's the number one goal. And, and Elway's already come straight up and said his number one goal is figuring out this cornerback situation and getting a guy in here who can get the job done. And I think that guy is Kirk Cousins. Uh, another uh, kind of uh, important note here, the Sports Authority field signs coming down, finally. Uh, a lot of people talking about how embarrassing it is to have a, uh, a sign on your stadium, a stadium spot, not even really a sponsor because Sports Authority uh, doesn't even exist anymore. So it's kind of cool to see them finally take that down. Uh, there's been no confirmation on any new stadium title or any new signs going up while they wait for their new sponsor in 2019. Um, they've had, you know, arguments have gone back and forth about the possibility of letting a dispensary sponsor the stadium. I'm sure most of you listening and myself have no problem with that, but you know the league will never let that happen, at least not anytime soon. So I wouldn't ex- expect that uh, to happen anytime soon. So, you know, like I said, we'll talk more and more about free agency in the draft as it approaches. We still got the NFL playoffs uh, going on right now, which is kind of how I'm going to wrap up the show and kind of preview some of the games, just give you my picks, keep it real short and simple. I know this is a Broncos show, but as I've as I've said, you know, I'll get a little bit into the more you know more important news of the NFL, and of course, playoffs is always important. So, you know, in the division round you have Atlanta taking on Philadelphia. I'm going with Atlanta again. For two main reasons. Atlanta's got the experience. I told you last week, I think their experience is going to take over and they're going to beat the Rams. I didn't care that it was in L.A. I didn't care that the Rams had that high-powered offense who, uh, that scored uh, 13 points uh, against the Falcons. You know, and my other reason is 
as much as I've I'm kind of a little bit of a you know a closet Nick Foles fan. I wouldn't mind seeing him here as the bridge quarterback in Denver. Maybe that's a possibility. I wouldn't mind that at all. But let's be honest, he's not Carson Wentz, and it's not like Philadelphia has this do- absolutely dominant defense. They've they've rode the back of Carson Wentz to where they are now. So, but I just don't think uh, Foles is going to be able to do enough, and they don't have this dominant run game. So I think Atlanta, with their experience and the better quarterback and the the better weapons on on both sides of the ball, that I think Atlanta goes ahead and takes that one. Uh, Tennessee at New England. As much as I, I myself and all of you Broncos fans would love to see Tennessee and Marcus Mariota go in there, Derrick Henry run all over New England and take them down, I'm not even sure there's much to talk about on this one because I think this could potentially be a, a bloodbath. I think New England could potentially just, just knock them in the dirt and just take them out. Or, you know, it could end up being like one of these New England games where it's it's almost like they're, they're, they're they're the lion, you know, playing with their food. They kind of tease tease a team, and then they'll be like, "Oh, they've got a chance, they've got a chance." And next thing you know, the game's over, and New England's won by you know uh, 17, 20, 23 points, you know, something like that. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's how it happens. Then you got uh, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh. This is another one where it's like, I want to say, do you need to talk about it? But Jacksonville's defense has been so damn good this season, you know. You know, we as Broncos fans used to hold this distinction, but Jacksonville has has they they have this the uh, the new no fly zone. Um, I know a couple of years ago they tried to steal it and say that they were the no fly zone already, but they they've arrived now at this point. So and they've got a top defense. But let's be honest, you you let's compare the quarterbacks, Bortles and Ben. I mean, that that actually there is nothing to talk about on there. Bortles was atrocious last week. I don't see anything being much different, especially on the road at Pittsburgh. I think Ben plays a hell of a lot better this time than he played against Jacksonville earlier in the season. I think that, you know, is an indicative of what you should expect from the game this time around. Um, I don't, you know, they, they had a pick six. I think that, I think they might have had two pick six. They had a long run from Fournette. So I think it's going to be a totally different story in Pittsburgh for the playoffs. You know, they got A.B. back. Um, he, You know, he's coming up with a cap injury who I recently just uh, this last year had this uh, similar cap injury. So it's going to be interesting to see him come back. Um and see if he, he's at 100%. And then you look at the running game. I mean, it's a good matchup between Bell and Fournette. I mean, I've said over and over, Le'Veon Bell, for my money, is the best back in the league. And Fournette's had a great season. And, you know, the Jacksonville running game is, is strong. And they, they've got the running game and they've got the defense, everything you want in the playoffs. I just think Pittsburgh's playmakers overall are going to be just way too much for Jacksonville to get the win on the road. I don't expect it to be a blowout by any means, but I do think Pittsburgh gets it done in the end. And as far as New Orleans... At Minnesota, I'm taking Drew Brees over Case Keenum here. I'm taking the experience. I'm taking the Saints' run game versus the Minnesota defense. I know Minnesota's got one of the best defenses in the NFL, but I I think that you know after being somewhat shut down, uh, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram are to get, get it done this week. I don't think Drew Brees is going to have to go out there and win the game because you got guys in the secondary of Minnesota who can ultimately uh, get get to to, to Brees and and maybe uh, force him baiting him into bad throws and even for a Hall of Fame quarterback like a Drew Brees, you know, like an Xavier Rhodes is a big time. He's shut down like a Jalen Ramsey in Jacksonville. Just um, So it's going to be interesting to see, but I am going to go just simply Drew Brees over Case Keenum overall in this one. So, But I just want to thank you guys again for uh, joining me on another episode, episode two of hopefully many, many more to come of the Let's Talk Broncos podcast. Just uh, remember to follow uh, us on Twitter at Talk Broncos Josh. Um, on Instagram at Let's Talk Broncos, and you can search for Let's Talk Broncos on Facebook, and you can um, find the episode and the link in the bios of all those uh, social medias on SoundCloud and also on iTunes. 
So don't forget to tune in uh, next Thursday as uh, we kind of just delve more into uh, what's going on. We'll talk more about the NFL playoffs. We'll talk more about my my uh, love for Kirk Cousins and how I'd love to see him in orange. So, but and uh, until then, uh, go Broncos and thanks for listening.